0: Everybody thinks that their way is the right way, when in reality there's a lot of different ways you can do things. And even if um, you're working with someone who may not be the
1: top of the industry, getting any, pers- any other person's perspective that you can, and then using your own judgment, that, that may not be as good, but I'll learn from him and take what's good from him and know what not to do as well.
2: But then you come up now, and then you just see how well, how much they've grown and developed, and like they've almost took on the personalities of the people that have been handling them.
3: I got a plethora of guys that I call on to say, this ain't working, what do I do? And they can solve it within five minutes because they're, they're farther down the road than I am. At times, the horse world can look pretty intimidating especially if you're brand new to horses or if you are interested in getting started. Also, it can be a daunting task to think about where to even begin. Today, we're talking to three young people, all in their 20s, from various backgrounds, but who are all interested in learning how to improve their skills, knowledge, and communication with horses. I got to spend the past three months with them in my sales and marketing course, where they learn how to prepare a yearling for sale. Let's see what they each have to say. This is Taking the Reins.
0: From Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, this is Taking the Reins Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now, here's our host, Clay Cavender.
3: I'm too. Like Jamaica or something.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'd have my own little private something. island <laughs> for there like vacation. there, vacations. You, go. there but, you go. And then yeah. at work when Parker I can go. our
3: Ranch in Hawaii had the largest cattle operation at one time. Really? Yeah. On Hawaii. That's crazy. I don't know if that holds still true tonight or not, but. King Ranch probably in there somewhere.
2: Gee, I'm going roping. Give me a couple string of horses, big rig, and get some game on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a nice horse trailer. I've probably been
3: going on vacation for quite some time. <laughs> I don't know about going roping when you got to worry about horses yeah. and work and all that good
0: stuff. I mean, you got money,
3: you know,
2: so I'm having, you know, take them to the vet, you know, yeah. get another one. Yeah. Hey, while that one's out,
3: you know. I have a feeling nine would have all the pretty toys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. Oh, yeah. You know Oh, yeah. The, I heard that the other day some lady won the lottery, like... Uh, well, no, I was actually listening to a podcast that was talking about this lady who took her horse to a trainer and come to find out she had won the, I think it was Illinois, maybe, or some lottery, yeah, $53 yeah. Million or $35 million or something like that. So she had a whole string of horses in training. Pretty neat. And this is something that I ask people all the time that always gets me. Are they first-generation horsemen? And what I mean by that is... There's are some people that have never dabbled in horses, so they don't have parents that could teach them how to deal with horses or grandparents to teach them how to deal with horses. And so when I ask that question a lot of times, I'm kind of puzzled with the response because a lot of people come back and say, yeah, that's me, I, I'm all on my own. And I have so much respect for that because those of us who grew up in the business or have got a history in the business realize just how hard that is. In a ton of different ways. Let's start with that. What's something interesting about yourselves? You're all MSU students, you're all kind of interested in horses. We're gonna get into the horse aspect of everything, but what is something unique in your backgrounds?
2: Well, I kinda of started out I was a first generation horseman, like you said, but none of my parents did any of this. Didn't have horses, cattle. My granddad did, he had cattle and I kinda of told him that I wanted to get into horses, so he got me his little bat crazy little Shetland pony type thing. I you know, he led me around all you can Reiner around and nothing like that. But then I end up going to a family friend who team roped. And he asked me, that I want to learn how to team rope? I was like, I don't, I don't even know what team roping is. I just want to ride a horse. And then he was like, well, we're going to teach you how to team rope, too. And I was like, okay, you know, just go with the flow. And it took me, you know, maybe seven years going on now. And now I'm team roping and riding. And I think it's kind of crazy how it all ended up. I didn't know what it was. And now I'm in it
3: now. And why does everybody always start with ponies? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that joke was crazy. She, she right. reared up and everything with me. Uh, I do Jeffrey something. What was her night, probably something wild. Uh, no, it was blue jeans. Blue jeans. <laughs> so, there you go. Mine was Suey. And Suey was atrocious. She bucked me off about once a week. <laughs> Broke my sister's arm.
0: Yep. You know all
3: kinds of stuff. But we we'll start with ponies. What about you, Tara?
0: I'm also pretty much first generation. Um, I realized that my great grandmother, she ran cattle in Arkansas, but I thought that was way before I was born. I didn't learn until recently that that was up until about 2007. So I kind of just barely missed the cusp of like being actively involved with it growing up. And then I also, within the last couple of years, learned that like my great aunt, my grandmother, they used to barrel race and stuff. So agriculture was kind of involved in my family, but not you know, that close to me. So I'm pretty new to it and cr- trying to start off everything on my own as well.
3: Yeah. it's and that's that's very tough to do when you don't have people to kinda of help you along the way.
1: Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the same boat. I, I grew up in a subdivision, both my parents are teachers. We have nothing to do with agriculture. Um, you know, we see cows in the farm across the street, but that's about as close as I ever got to them. And didn't really ever get to really even put my hands on a horse except like Girl Scout Camp one time growing up until i got here to uh mississippi state and started working with them in our labs and the the horse classes and cattle classes i got to take
3: so you just saw them across the street and thought that was interesting (laughs) i did yeah do you Did any of you guys remember this kind of light bulb moment when you decided that horses were your thing or that this sparked an interest to figure out how to pursue some of those interests that you're talking about it
2: was for me at first it was kind of like it was kind of like you know i see other guys i go to roping and see other guys who did it you know their whole life and they were winning automatically and it was a little bit hard and i was like is this really my thing you know am i really capable of it because i didn't grow up in it but then you know i started getting better started practicing on it and really just it became my lifestyle and i was like i really can't see myself doing nothing nothing else really that i would enjoy
3: and have fun with and do you, do you think like there's there's a separation between i think i grew up with the ropers too and there's a separation between being a horseman and a roper would you agree with that yeah,
2: i do you? i'm 100 agree sometimes a lot of ropers nowadays they'll see their horses just like a tool or something like that they don't see proper horsemanship being something that they can use in their roping to make them better when it really it really is is such a huge factor. About fifty percent of it, actually. You know, your horse. You can't you can't rope a cat without a horse. You could be a heck of a
3: rope and can't get there. Right. And then, You're then. right. What about you, Terry? Is there a light bulb moment for you?
0: I remember growing up, my dad, he used to take me to the local riding stables on Fort Campbell. And I absolutely loved it. Horses were my favorite animal. I wanted him to buy me some. And I was so excited because when I did it when I was younger, they wouldn't let us trail ride yet. Like I kind of was just led around the pasture. And I was so excited that when I got 10 years old, like that's when they allowed kids to trail ride. But by the time I got um, back to Tennessee after my birthday, they didn't do um, riding lessons or just stables anymore. It was only boarding. So I kind of lost my um, connection to horses in that way, but I always still like wanted to be involved with them and was extremely interested. And when I was able to be like working age and everything, I reached out there to try to get a job there because I remember that was such an important part of my childhood and so just ever since then like those little moments with my dad like I just loved it and I was distanced from agriculture and had a really big passion for marine life for the longest time. It wasn't until I came to Mississippi State and started working hands on with livestock that I realized that's what I wanted to do and Zion mentioned that once he got involved with it like he can't see himself doing anything else and that's something I relate to a lot too. Like. Since I've been involved with it, it's all I can imagine doing with the rest of my life.
3: Yeah, the hard question comes later on. It's like, how do, you, how do you combine a desire or hobby and a career? Those are, mm-hmm. that's a tougher challenge, especially when you're a young person, but uh, definitely you've got to follow your passion. Do you have a moment like that, Riley? Uh,
1: pretty similar. Um, I grew up uh, with all manner of other kinds of pets. We had um, dogs and cats and snakes and lizards and rabbits. Uh, I had two goats, but only for about a month until they ate my dad's rose bushes. Does
3: anybody think snakes are pets, actually?
1: <laughs> I think can be. I,
3: I, I feel like it to his be control. A dead, dead snake idea. might be my favorite <laughs> pet.
1: Um, but with all that, I loved animals in that way, and I always grew up wanting to go to vet school. And that was the whole plan, and um, I made it happen. I actually got into the early entry program here at Mississippi State. Um, And then they said, well, you need to take the animal and dairy science major, that's the one that everyone goes to, it prepares you best for vet school. So I said, okay, sign me up, and went into it, and that's really the first time that I started, like, actually having hopes of being able to be involved with the livestock other than, you know, seeing the horses and cows across the road, and, uh, you know, the same as these two, and just realized, wow, I really have a passion for this, I love it, this is, this is all I want to do from now on.
3: You know, there's so many people your age, 20-ish, and you come into that pre-vet program or maybe even get into vet school, but don't have that large animal experience maybe that a lot of kids growing up in the country might have, you know, Mm and that's the other thing too, I hear all the time, I heard it yesterday, I heard someone say, I don't have the background as the other students in this class, and so I don't quite get it, and I think that's a crutch and an excuse, it's not the truth. It, it, It may be the truth on a small fraction, really, what what are your peers? Maybe ten percent had grown up in that with a background like that. You think it's more or less? I think it's even a little bit less, maybe might be
2: less, especially with the
0: pre vet students. I think when you look more at the like the production concentrations, you might have a little bit more. But I wouldn't even say too much more than that because I know most of my friends are production or business in industry concentration um, still involved with ads. But you know, for example, one of my friends, he's from the Nashville area. didn't grow up with this either and now we're both working out on this research project pen writing every day and it's just really interesting to see how you can come from a completely different background and once you apply yourself and take the initiative to get involved if it's something you're really passionate in, like how much you can grow in it
3: i think the key word there is initiative and i think too with horse people when you ask them uh, this is probably on a grand scale when we say if someone asks you Where are you on the scale of knowledge, for the lack of a better term? A lot of people don't want to admit that they might be on the novice end of that, right? They all want to kind of think, whether it's pride, ego, or I don't know if (laughs) but they might think, I'm I'm experienced, when in reality they may not be. Some people listening may feel anxious about entering the horse field because it is intimidating, uh, especially when you talk about the show end like you guys are talking about just the knowledge aspect of it or, or coming into a knowledge-based learning program and there's people out there learning from that level they're coming into a lessons program or they're trying to figure out just the basics of what to do with horses but as you advance then you take the next step and you go to a rope and like zion said or you go to a horse show and you pull up there it can be pretty intimidating for sure have you felt that way with, with some of your some experiences you've had or, or am I the only one that feels that way?
0: Oh, I absolutely do. I did when I first got started, which again, my experience is not extremely extensive. I'm still relatively new to everything and I still feel that kind of anxiety because, and I think the biggest thing for me is knowing that there's people around me that know so much more and so I'm trying to learn from them, but I'm also trying to keep up and I don't want to like get in the way or slow down the task at hand. So I think that's where a lot of my anxiety being in the industry comes from. And I think that's probably similar for a lot of people, but I would suggest, you know, just keep asking questions, you know, show that, you know, I might be a little slower at things and I might not know everything, but I promise like I'm here to do my best. And I think your effort and your willingness to work will go a long way.
2: I think a lot of competitors these days get to, like getting in the head, like I gotta look good. You know, I gotta make this horse look good. I mean, it doesn't matter about how you look looks will come with experience you get better horses they're gonna look better than the horses you had when you first started you start roping more you start roping better it's gonna look better in that situation right there so i feel like instead of, we have i'd say like our priorities mixed up a little bit almost like instead of trying to complete the task we want to look good doing the task and that's a lot of things i've seen
3: now i've learned that with everything whether it's I grew up with a horse, I grew up with the horse just still, I, I can still feel that anxiety or intimidation factor so it's when I go to a higher level show where I'm, heck when I'm judging too, it's the same pressure. But with anything, we all got other experiences outside of the horse world that it's the initial hurdle that we have to jump and then the real learning begins, right? It's that a lot of times we prevent ourselves from getting past that hurdle. So. Mm-hmm. What is some advice you'd have somebody that wants to? Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I loved—I've said this on another podcast episode too. I think is—I remember when UFC One came out, and I dug it. I loved it from the beginning of it. And twenty years goes by, and I wanted so bad—I want to start doing some of that and learning and and doing—but I was scared to do it. And I even went in—I don't know—it's probably six, seven years ago. I went into a gym talk to the guy, gung-ho, I'm going to do it, you know, and then I got chickened out, I bailed, and I finally got in the truck, and I was like, no, I've got to make, I have to force myself into that environment, and it's uncomfortable, it's not fun at first, it is taxing, mentally, physically, whatever, but, then you start seeing how much fun it can be and how much the, the trade-off is. I'm learning something new, I'm increasing my knowledge and awareness about something that was totally outside my wheelhouse. And so the value becomes more extraordinary, right? So how do you get past that on your own? Is it just force yourself into it?
1: Uh, for me, I've always been a very independent person and learning how to ask for help was always very difficult for me. Um, but realizing, hey, this is something I want. I know deep down that I want to get into this and just taking that leap of faith. You know, I came up and I talked to you. I said, hey, I want to try to be in this yearling training class. Um, Would you help me out getting into it and going out there? You said, absolutely, come on. And when I got out there, I said, hey, I don't don't have all of the background information, um, all the (laughs) experiences, but I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing to learn. And every time I had a question, you or Hannah were very eager to help me out, show me, take over for just a minute, this is what you need to do, hand it back to me, show me and help me along, and get me to where I needed to be. And so learning to ask for that help and figure out that it's okay to not be the smartest person out there and have the most experiences um, was difficult, but is one of the most rewarding parts if you can get past that and jump into it.
3: Getting past your own pride is hard, isn't it? It is, (laughs) So going back let's go to the roping side if you're going to this is a novice level thing she's discussing but what if you decide you've roped at home and you've learned from others and you're doing this thing and now you go to a rope and what's your experience is there did you find it welcoming or not welcoming i feel
2: feel like depending on where you're roping at or how you're feeling it's all based on your confidence in yourself confidence is the number one thing i feel like for ropers because i mean especially like if you're heading or something like that it's a lot of pressure going on so you got to be out of your head you got to be in a focused state of mind, almost, or not even in a thinking state of mind. A lot of guys will say, "Just don't think, just do it." Almost. Um, so it always goes back to that confidence in yourself and making sure you know what you're going to do, having your fundamentals down and all that basics, right? Really.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, and like you were saying too, just forcing yourself to do it. That's the hardest part is taking that first step. Like when it, I agree with a lot of what Riley was saying, and when it came to the class, like I was really nervous at first that very first day because I was looking around and I was like, "Okay, I know like all of these people." have a lot of experience with horses, and I've never been around yearlings. All the horses I've been around throughout my life were pretty broke, so it wasn't, I've never trained anything, never been with anything that really needed more more learning until this semester with this class, and then with that research project I'm on too. And so that was a, um, A very anxiety inducing and scary thing for me at first because I didn't have the confidence but I was thinking you know This is something I'm very passionate in. I really want to learn more about this This is something that I'm going to be able to utilize for the rest of my life which is something that I know students don't always feel like they get in school. So I know this was a very important opportunity to me. So I just had to get over the fact that I was anxious and ask for help when I needed it and just really take it all in and listen, not only from you, but from my peers as well that did know more than
3: me. And it was funny about that. I'm sitting here thinking, all three of you kind of said that same kind of thing, especially you two young ladies. And what's funny is when I look at the class, I'm looking at it from a different perspective, a different vantage point. I don't see anybody any different. You know, I, th- I see everybody's 20, they're learning, they're excited about doing this, but they've all got their own preconceived ideas and notions of how to do something, but they're also very unskilled in a certain set. Mm-hmm. And so the advancement, thats and that was probably the biggest reason I wanted the three of you to come in and talk about some of this stuff was because the advancement I saw in three months amongst your own skill sets, not in comparison, but... Terra to Terra, Raleigh to Raleigh, Zion to Zion. That was tremendously different from just three months ago. But you wouldn't you wouldn't known that if you hadn't took the initiative to jump in there and just let the walls down a little bit and not be too afraid to look quote stupid in front of your peers or whatever you know that's from your own perception it's not from the reality of it but we get these perceptions built up in our minds and then maybe the, ca- the casual listener who is not in a college course but they're debating man I want to take a lesson Maybe it's in a different discipline. Zion's a roping, stock horse guy. Maybe he wants to do something in over fences, but it's too intimidating. He's laughing. <laughs> if you, he doesn't want to wear his tights, but all. <laughs> <laughs> you get my drift. What If you want to do something vastly different, hey. that would take a, a lot of confidence, like you were speaking of before. Take a ton of confidence in yourself to just jump in there, not be afraid to not know everything, and to learn. And that's something that I would stress to people who are wanting to take the initiative to learn, but maybe just aren't doing it because they lack self-confidence. It's not something that's born and bred into some people. It's something developed. So they've got to get past some of that. So I think the words of wisdom you gave them were all good. You guys have worked with me at the barn for the past three or four months. What's one thing you think that I stressed that you won't leave or won't be forgotten anytime soon?
2: Patience, but firm at the same time. I know what I mean. I come in, I was, if those jokers didn't want to go forward, you know, I was going to make them go forward. I was real aggressive with my approach. Not, you know, that was just my inexperience. You know, in my brain, you know, I'm wanting this joker to go forward. I know I need to apply pressure. I just pushed, I went from a zero to a ten when I should have been going to a zero to a five. Trying just to give them that first step instead of trying to get six steps right off the bat so i feel like and you also tell you know tell us to have firm hand when we need to when we keep applying pressure applying pressure applying pressure we need to raise it not just be trying to threaten them is what you say sometimes right right
0: i agree with that wholeheartedly especially especially the patience aspect but also um how to read your horse because it's easier to do it i feel like when you're riding because you can physically feel it a little bit more but you always say that a horse is going to tell you what they're going to do a few seconds before they do it so being able to read your horse is uh, crucial to every aspect of you know working with them and that's one thing that's really going to stick with me and knowing when to quit just like being gentle and firm but firm at the same time knowing when to quit especially with the yearlings is really important so you're not overworking them to a point where they don't want to work anymore because they're young they're like kids as you explain it to us and their attention span isn't all there so taking those few steps and then letting off giving them a break rewarding them with pre- or with the release of pressure is something that I wasn't doing as much at the beginning and I had to really get through my head because in my brain I'm like well they know how to do this like and I always had to remind myself like no they don't they're like toddlers like you're I'm constantly trying to teach them and I have to be patient and know when to report Because the them.
3: class we're talking about, we're dealing with yearlings, so mm-hmm. that's why you're, you're talking about those young horses. You know, can and an older horse could be in that same state of mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing your horse is definitely important. Did they leave anything, Riley? Is there anything?
1: Um, I think I started off a little bit on the opposite end of the spectrum from Zion. Um, where i was not sure exactly how to make him go so i said okay he doesn't really want to go let me just gently tell him hey go this way go this way go this way and he wouldn't do it he didn't want to and i was not being firm enough so for me learning and it goes back to the confidence learning hey i need to tell you like this uh firmly not not harshly but this is what you're going to do and you're going to do it now and go um to you know get them going instead of cracking them with a whip or you know, just tugging on his face and irritating him in order to get him to do what you want him to do.
3: There's really not any difference in training. I'm not a dog trainer, but I'm gonna assume that training a dog, I'm a parent, so I'm attempting to train a kid, Trained horses my whole life. There's this, if you take that same approach, which is real simple, it's, the. Pre- I mean, this is straight out of a book. Apply cue, wait for a response, reinforce. I say that so many times. Day in and day out.
1: In one of your classes that I took a couple of years ago, you were talking about the, those training steps: the ask, wait for a response, reinforce. And you were talking about how even your wife had you trained the same way. She was sitting <laughs> mm-hmm. on the couch. She said, "I'm cold," and you got up and adjusted the thermostat. Yeah. So it's it's very universal. Um, like I guess I'm training a puppy right now. Yeah. And the same steps: um, ask. She, you know, she doesn't quite get it right, ask her again, show her this is what you need to do and reward every little small thing so that it clicks in her brain and it, it applies to almost everything. It
3: does, mm-hmm. it, but it's it also it also can be complex too when we start talking about the cue and how how do you apply the cue, when do you apply, apply the cue, how much pressure do you use to apply the cue, when you, most probably, maybe the most important, or maybe reinforcements are more important, but waiting for a response. Not just listening to you, we say listening to your horse for a response. That's something you're learning through the class. And I think Zion brought it up. Zion and Riley were total ends of the spectrum on the waiting for a response and reinforcing that response. And the waiting for a response, there was no room of there was no room for Zion's horse. It was I told you to do it and do it. And he was gonna make it happen. So he went from nothing at a zero to Six, seven, eight on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of force, you know, being, being assertive. Whereas Riley was like typical young lady sometimes wants to be nice and kind and come on, we can be friends and we'll go to 1 or 2 but not 10. But through that waiting and listening and thinking about what your horse is telling you, that is what gives us the ability to reinforce positively or negative. And anytime we start, we want to start going, I want to start from 1 to 2 and then three to four, and then eight to nine, and then 10, because if I start like Zion was doing, seven, eight, I've only got nine, 10 left if I need to go harsher, right? So we want to move up the scale. I think you guys did a good job of that. But it's so simple, but yet complex because of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like on my side of things, like me figuring out
2: different ways to give a cue was another thing, like instead of having that universal, you know, like an older horse, you know, ask them to go off left, you pick your hand up and push them with one hand. That horse didn't understand that, and I was causing to block his, block his um, that whole side with his hand instead of asking him to go. And he got confused, he'd just face up to me instead of me stepping out to the side and pushing him off into it. So, you know, finding out different ways to do different things was another good
3: thing I learned. My mindset as a young person was like, what is this thing doing wrong? Why won't he listen? Now my mm-hmm. mindset is, what am I doing wrong? What am I not approaching this? in the r- How am I not approaching this? I need mm-hmm. to approach this differently. Did yeah. that change do you, do definitely
0: um i think at first still i'll uh, almost instinctively be like why aren't you working in regards to speaking to the horse but then i'm like okay am i asking this correctly am i asking it the way this horse knows how like have i taught her properly how to do whatever i'm asking and i have to almost like stop it step back and think okay and it's like um the patience thing we were talking about earlier have patience and also humble yourself to know like hey they might not be doing it because of something I'm doing incorrectly, or maybe I taught them incorrectly now that I've, you know, adjusted the way I'm asking, they no longer know. So it's not always a horse's fault. It is sometimes, you know, sometimes they're stubborn, they just don't want to work. But it's, I think, important to, I guess, kind of like I said, humble yourself to know it's not 100% on them. It's a give and a take. That's
3: part of our job as horsemen is to understand the personality of the horse just like it is our friends. You know, not not that horses are friends, but if we have a circle of re- close relationships with people, then we have to understand. Well, okay, this person's like this, and I got to approach them like that. There's a book called The Outsiders, and it states in there—I don't remember how it gets to this point—but the perspective of the author is that you have to spend 10,000 hours doing something before you're professionally efficient at it, or considered an expert, or however you want to put it. Start doing the math. If you're riding every day, an hour. Now, some guys are, you know, the horse trainers are riding 10, 12 hours a day, so they're getting there faster, but you gotta remember where you're at in comparison to everyone around you too. Continually learning is what we're really, what we're really trying to accomplish. So with that said, what hurdles have you, you either experienced or perceived to possibly have in the future that have affected your advancement within the horse industry? We'll start with you, Tara
0: this might sound a little cliche but something i think think a lot of people experience especially if they're trying to you know get their foot in the door is the lack of resources they either don't know of anybody that has horses that they could get started with or don't know of anywhere around them they don't have the money they don't have the land and that's i think a big hurdle for a lot of people but you know say you have all those things there's still going to be hurdles you know we've talked about patience a lot and i think you know a lack of patience is going to hinder you more than Anything a lack of patience a lack of understanding and you don't want to get to a point And we were talking about learning where you think you know everything because you're not going to keep learning and That's going to deter you from improving yourself improving your horses improving, you know your career You're not gonna be able to improve if you don't kind of like humble yourself and continue to absorb information from everybody because Everybody thinks that their way is the right way when in reality There's a lot of different ways you can do things and I think that is like A huge hurdle when it comes to this industry in particular is thinking you know you've got it all figured out so this person doesn't know what they're talking about.
3: That's a great point too so if you're a beginner how do you find as a horseman how do you develop your own path?
0: You've got to mix together everything you've been learning to figure out what works for you and you know what works for one horse is not going to work for another necessarily so something works great for you you find to be really effective and you end up you know say you're training horses and you know you're doing that with this other horse and it's not working you're gonna have to you know take a step back and realize that this way is not the only way and you know you're gonna have to learn something from somebody else or pick up a new technique in order to improve your horses
2: I feel like I feel like communicating is a big thing, you know. I feel like I talk to people real well, you know, getting connections and stuff like that. So you can call, have those people you can call on to be like, well, you know, I tried this with this horse and it's not working. What do you What do you uh, think I should do? Call him, try that out. If It don't work. Call somebody else, you know, or look up on
3: YouTube. No,
0: that's a really good point though. Is the YouTube is mm. especially like a horse There's a whole beginning. bunch of
3: junk on there too, it right? It is. It's one me and Rob Huddleston did talking about that very thing. You can get a lot of information from YouTube. But what's the right info and
0: is it reliable is
3: it reliable mm-hmm. experience speaks for itself doesn't it mm-hmm. yes, and i
2: feel like that goes back to getting your my, your name back out there you know you want to be you want to go out to people who have credentials you know who have titles under their belt and you know have good word of mouth too that's what people you want to ask so you can build that for yourself get your own credentials
3: for sure
1: and even if um you're working with someone who may not be the top of the industry. Getting any pers- any other person's perspective that you can, and then using your own judgment, that that may not be as good. But I'll learn from him and take what's good from him and know what not to do as well. And getting as many different um, opportunities and perspectives as you can uh, is also is one way to to build what is right and what you know. You can figure out what is the best thing to do. Um, Like I had an internship a couple years ago and what we did out there and what you've taught me are very different. So I'm piecing together the best parts of of each of the different places in order to figure out what I think is the best way to do.
0: Riley said um, getting like different perspectives, which I think is really important, um, especially because you know this class is about you know training these yearlings to get them to sale. So that's kind of where my mind is at right now. But it is extremely helpful to get somebody else's point of view because just like with anything you're going to be too close to it so getting that outside perspective for them to you know watch you and you know you might not be doing everything right like you think and you know maybe the horse is responding in accordance with what you are asking even though what you're asking is not what you think you're asking if that makes sense So I think that outside perspective can be really helpful.
3: That's a good prelude into my next question, which is about your horses. Tell our listeners a little bit about your horses and something they did or didn't do that it was a lesson for you that you want, that you are gonna put in your own bag of tricks, so to speak, with your own horse training and knowledge.
2: Well, my horse was Otto. He was, um, he's a MSU hunting your assets. He's a son out of Allocate Your Assets and his mom was uh, out of Hubba Hubba hunting and he was he was a hunty bred horse so he was kind of out of my you know range of where i'm used to you know i'm used to more of the cow horses and stuff like that but he was a big tall gelding. you know he was doing good lunging and stuff he'd listen he'd pick up stuff on a dime but he was so sensitive if you did something too much he'd take it a whole different way like saddling him. saddling him was kind of a challenge he didn't like to saddle but you know we had to take another approach we had to go soft with him we had to take it off spend hours with him in the round pen just taking it on taking it off before he understood it, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to kill him. And I feel like that right there showed me like a different way of doing things. Like going back to what I said earlier, it's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you can't just throw it up on him, you know, let him say yeehaw, because that joker, he bucked the whole time. You know, the first time we just threw it up on him, let him have it. He just bucked, you know, he bucked and bucked and went on. But then that second time we just took our time and just let him figure it out on his own, let him see it, let him feel it let him figure it out and he just he took will to it after that. That's
3: that part of adapting to the personality mm-hmm. of the horse. You can't just be this is you're going to do it. Not yeah. that forceful mentality. Some of them aren't going to do it. Right. Riley, mm-hmm. tell me about your horse.
1: Um, I had a small uh, stallion in Fireball and he was every bit as feisty as his name is <laughs> Lies. Proper name. Yes. Yeah. Um, he was kind of the baby of the horse unit for a while when he was growing up. Uh, he got a lot of love and a lot of people were like, oh my gosh he's my favorite. He's so sweet. You remember so
3: how he, how was he bred?
1: Sg Frozen Enterprise. Yeah, it was it was a Sg sire. Frozen
3: Enterprise out of uh, Mr. Nicodul Mayer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes,
1: and he, you know, was was the baby was loved on a whole lot, and so he kind of was a little spoiled. Um, so when he started out working with him on the lunch line, he picked up pretty quickly um, that he was supposed to, you know, walk and trot in a circle, and he did that decently well for being so young. And then, when we got about halfway through the semester, I think it was him growing into himself. He, like, his whole personality flipped a little bit and he started just being really crazy, not doing the things that I knew that we, he knew how to do. And so I had to adapt to teaching him again in a, div- in a different way to his new mindset of he's just going to be crazy and wild and do whatever he wants to do, which was really weird just to have to switch up techniques in the middle of the semester.
3: Yeah, definitely got to be on your toes with him. Mm-hmm. Terry, you being the shortest of the classmates, you had the tallest of the horses. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was a living large out of our Coats and Tails mares. Tell me about her.
0: Yeah, so Maggie, she ended up looking real nice towards the end of things. and But at first, I mean, definitely stubborn and smart. She knew what you were asking, I feel like, and if she didn't want to do it, she wouldn't. So you really have to like kind of apply that pressure at first and make her realize, like, no, I'm asking you to do that, and that means that you do it. Because once she got that through her head, like, okay, me fighting this isn't going to get me the result I'm looking for, and it is easier for me to just go ahead and do what's being asked of me, then she'll do it. Um, One of the biggest challenges I feel like at the beginning and even a little bit towards the end was her pulling when i was trying to lunge her with a low she was not a fan at all but you know we worked her a lot in the round pen with it and she would do fine with that and then we'd go out into the arena and she would still pull a lot so you'd have to work her kind of like towards the corners but at the end of the semester when we got towards the uh sale um videoing portion of it she ended up doing really well. I was very impressed. She realized that it's easier for her to just go ahead and listen. Because, you know, she doesn't want to work. She just wants to hang out. And, you know, that's, that, that was her whole goal. She would so.
3: definitely test you, but
0: mm-hmm.
3: when, you, when she finally realized that, man, it was just, to me, that watching that mare was like, uh, was horse psychology 101. Mm-hmm. Like, she wanted to be the boss she told you she wanted to be the boss and if you had said okay that's fine with me she would have been glad to be the boss
0: yeah she wasn't afraid to take advantage of you that's for sure
3: but to her credit when she realized that you were serious about okay you want to be the boss she was chill with that too she Mm -hmm. was good with that yeah just whatever's
0: easiest for her is what she'll end up going with (laughs) whatever's
3: easiest that's right another thing i know is like at the end of
2: this like all all the horses like they you know, they start, you look at them how they started out and they were kind of like almost wild, kind of feral, you know, you know, babies really. <laughs> they just then, turned
3: out their whole, uh, yeah. each other through their years and and then, year, yeah.
2: But then you come up now and then you just see how well, they, how much they've grown and developed. And like they've almost took on the personalities of the people that have been handling them. Because at first, Otto, I don't think he cared care rat's tail if I died, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> but now nah, the joker's so affectionate now. Nah, he's cool. You know, he's collected all the time. He just wants to be up on you sometimes and that gets annoying. But, you know, he'll understand if you tell him push off, but he loves to be loved on What's now.
3: great to hear yeah. about that is when I teach the Intro to Horsemanship class, I start with uh, making them read a paper by McKenzie, which is an old paper, but it's a very direct, very straightforward paper about um, developing a relationship with a horse. One of you is going to be the boss, one of you's not, and if we decide that we're going to be the boss, most horses love, they speak hierarchy, and they communicate that way, and so they're happy to work within that system, but if we if we choose to be lower on the totem pole so to speak then they they're happy to oblige and so it's nice to hear that you guys kind of caught on to that
0: yeah and what Zion was saying about you know he kind of became really affectionate is you know even towards the middle and towards the end here uh maggie when i would go and turn her out she'd stand there and look at me and then follow me back towards the gate you know and she was always real easy to catch i could walk right up to her or she'd meet me halfway she'd come up to me and even though me coming to her and putting that halter on her meant that we were going to work, she she didn't fight me on it. Because I think she realized like, okay, if I run away, that's just going to make this more difficult. We can go work, get this over, w- over with, and I can come back out and just
3: chill. Be a horse. What would you say horses have taught you that other animals or people were unable to teach you? How are they unique? I think consistency
2: mainly. Like You ask a horse one way, you got to ask him that same way every time. So consistency for me, you know, being consistent in time management, being consistent in how I carry myself, being consistent in how I talk to people, so I just, I learned a lot from by consistency. Man. That's a
3: big one, and that's a huge one. You think about horses and how you, hit, well we're not riding them this semester, but you can be off a half inch in the way you cue a horse to do something, you're communicating with him and he's not getting it, and a lot of times we get frustrated with that, but we've got to be consistent with communication for sure.
0: Yeah, and you talked about you know just then getting frustrated. I think the biggest thing for me is teaching me patience because it's easy to get frustrated when you feel like they know how to do this. Like, why aren't they doing it? Why aren't they listening to me? So, and we've talked about you know the patience part of this a lot and how each horse is different. And so, I think that's the biggest thing that they've taught me is take a step back, take a deep breath, take a break if you need to, and come back to it. Learn how to ask them a different way of what's. What you're thinking is working is obviously not. But yeah, patience I think is the biggest thing I've learned from working with horses.
3: And I'll tell myself for just a minute on that one. Patience is not my strong suit. It's not something I was born with. It's something I've developed. I'm 47 and I still have to, I have to physically tell myself to take a break.
0: I'm the same way. Because I
3: get tunnel vision and I want to address the problem and take it head on and that's not good sometimes.
0: Mm -hmm. And I almost want to like going off of that is like okay they do it right and then i want them to keep doing it right so they get it in their head but that also goes back to learning when to quit especially with the younger horses because you need to take your little victories yeah yeah piggybacking off of that i think horses are they're, they're definitely mirrors to our emotions
1: So when I start working out with the horse and he's doing it good and I'm calm and I'm happy, he's going to stay calm and happy, he's going to do what I ask. And then if I start to get a little bit frustrated, he sees that, he senses that, and then he starts to get anxious and frustrated too, which in turn makes me more frustrated and it's just a bad cycle. So learning that patience, learning to take that breath and knowing that my actions
0: are causing his actions Uh, Has been very breakthrough. Yeah, they
3: feed off Mm -hmm. us.
0: Yeah, Yeah, going off of that too You said knowing that my actions are causing them to react a certain way um, and taking those breaks and whatnot It's something I've had to do too is tell myself mentally like okay You're getting frustrated and that's not going to help you accomplish this goal Like you need to take a breath like I almost have to like talk myself down a little bit sometimes if I feel myself getting worked up because you know you're not going to be able to accomplish anything if you're getting frustrated because then that's going to reflect on them and it's just going to turn into a mess and sometimes
1: it can be hard to tell that like I'm showing outward frustration I think okay I'm doing a good job of pretending I'm not frustrated I'm going to do it the horse doesn't care he will see that emotion show through whereas other people and animals might not mm-hmm. and it will
0: it will really help learn about yourself and controlling your own feelings
3: mm-hmm. and
0: that's sure. something that you can take with all your other relationships whether it be with people with other animals whatnot so learning that patience is such like an important thing to just be able to hone in on for yourself and your personal life and not just your relationship with horses too so i think it's a really good thing for them to be able to help teach us
3: something that you guys heard me say in class that i think i'm thinking now about like additional advice for the novice horseman or someone wanted to into entry-level grassroots development of uh, in horse in the horse world and that is watching other people and so, so many times, especially with with classes, courses I'm teaching, I, you know, I've got five kids working and three kids watching or or quote, watching, and so I encourage them all the time, like, watch what these people are doing, so that you can analyze the situation not to make fun of or anything like that but to go okay i don't need to do that i need to do this or i see myself in this and i see myself in that so you can kind of critique the situation was there anything that you guys learned from each other or someone else in the class that you said by watching i was able to say i'm not going to do it that way or i'm going to do it differently
0: I would go back to kind of what I was saying earlier about being able to read your horse. One of my favorite parts actually is watching like you work with Maggie when she was being really difficult towards the beginning of things and when she was uh, pulling away real bad towards the beginning of the semester is I really enjoyed watching to see how she was reacting to you, what you were doing to teach her that it's easier to comply. And I think that was where a lot of my learning came from because I could sit there and really just focus on the correct way to do things and then take that and apply it to myself on how I was working with her.
1: On a more technical level, we started driving our horses the other day and that's something I had no experience with and I was a little nervous for it. Um, But I made sure to watch Cameron and Zion who went before me and, and you and who exactly what they were doing and the couple things that they did maybe not the best and then what they were really doing well and really tried hard to apply that uh, while i was in the situation and i feel like that helped me almost as much as if i had just jumped in at the beginning
3: even with only four or five horses there was mm-hmm. a plethora of, uh, of experiences that happened because we got <laughs> one horse that's just super chill do anything and then we got another one that doesn't like ropes around his back end so that was <laughs> yeah. experience
2: yeah, uh, i definitely watching tear watching all the women really just walking especially hannah like especially with me i come in i came in kind of assertive almost and i would push too much like i said earlier but i watched them and they'd be gentle and i had trouble i had troubles early on with them wanting to come into like the lower transitions like the walk and the uh collected jog and all stuff like that and i watched them and they can do that really well so i was like maybe i have to just tone myself down a little bit try a softer approach at the beginning and you know if he didn't get the softer approach then i go back you know being a little aggressive then but dial on it
3: so everybody that's considered a horse person man it's like they're always wrapped up in horses right that's all mm-hmm. they want to do is horses 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 and past few years i said the past five years i honestly have started gravitating to a couple of other hobbies which I found, I kind of have reinvented myself a little bit and found that love of learning a little bit again because I'm starting, not that I have it all figured out. There's guys, like Zion said a little while ago, like, I got a plethora of guys that I call on to say, this ain't working, what do I do? And they can solve it within five minutes because they're, they're farther down the road than I am. But uh, I always want to try to find something new. So I got a couple new hobbies that put me right back down at the bottom, absolute bottom rung of learning. What is something currently that's interesting to you that's not horses?
2: Archery. I've been doing archery a lot. Shooting bow and arrow trying to do a little deer hunting this season. Well, shoot them almost out of time but I'm gonna get it done. Trying to do some duck hunting as well. So just hunting. With a bow? Oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm missing everything. I, I barely hit them with the shotgun. <laughs>
0: Honestly, I've been thinking about this question all day, trying to find something else like I'm really interested in because you were just saying that horses, horse people, like they tend to get wrapped up in horses. I find myself just sitting on Instagram, scrolling through a trainer's page for hours, just watching like different techniques and stuff. And the only other thing I could really think of right now is cattle. Like I'm just so involved with and engrossed with the livestock industry now that I'm involved with it, that it's really... The only thing i want to spend my time doing it's something i'm very passionate about and i'm constantly wanting to learn more so i guess my other hobby would be you know working with cattle and learning more about them how they think the best ways to work them on horseback is something i'm learning a lot this semester and i don't know that's the. so terry's answer
3: was no (laughs) yeah (laughs) rob
0: um, I hope this doesn't sound silly, but I've been getting into
1: like a lot of different types of crafting lately. All sorts of different types. I really like painting. I've got some new acrylic paints and water paints. <laughs> there's a there's a TikTok trend going around where you buy an old painting like at a thrift store for a couple dollars and then you paint on top of that painting like your own scene, your own additions to it. And I've been doing some of those and it's really fun and how I change the picture. Um, and I've got a cricket maker so I'm making vinyl stickers and designing shirts and things like that, it's completely on the other end of the spectrum, but it's another, it's a creative outlet that really helps me stress relieve and well, the reason,
3: That's why I asked the question, because I, I do think it's a fair and valid point, because it's not this way anymore, but when I was a kid, you had one, two, three, four, maybe four options, basketball, soccer, and cattle, and horses, or whatever. You, yeah. Now, you guys have gazillions. Kids come up, say, have a million different options to be involved in. And here's the two approaches, and the reason I ask this question. You can go dive into one, put all your time and effort into one, and now you're, you're at some point you're going to be the King Kong of one. Or you can put it, all your time into ten, and have a little bit of understanding of ten. You're not going to be good at any of them, though. Yeah,
1: what's the saying? A jack of all trades is a king of none? A master of, of none. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So
3: you've gotta, I think you've got to find those one or two things. However. If you put, and I, I appreciate Tara's response because she, that's where she's at right now. Like I want to, this is what I'm putting, investing my time. I think that's fantastic. But also, don't, I see the value in investing time and other things because it keeps you, it keeps me humble. Mm-hmm. Really keeps me humble because I'm in a total different level with motorcycling, adventure riding, jujitsu, and horses. I'm at way different levels at all those things, and so it kind of when I'm teaching, sometimes I can go back okay this person's at the grassroots level like i am in some other aspect so i think it's kind of a neat question to think about too i
2: know i've heard some people say you know jack of all trades a master of none will always be
3: better than a master of one (laughs) well okay yeah so you can uh you can develop other things too so i I don't think i think that's a good thing Uh,
0: i'm a big fan of trying to solve unsolved solve unsolved like mysteries and stuff i listen to a lot of like true crime podcasts and watch a lot of those shows and that's actually i considered being a homicide detective um at one point in my life because that's something that's always kind of interested me that or a criminal psychologist um so i guess that's a hobby listening to that
3: stuff (laughs) you choose a lot of different things and this we got to get out because we're kind of the end of our time but i appreciate what you guys did in the class and you know teaching does get i wouldn't say gets old but it does get monotonous at times but I'll tell you where the true payoff comes and that is what the end of the semester, whatever course you're teaching or class you're teaching with us, it has to be a hands-on. When you see the development of the student or person or teaching a clinic or whatever you're doing and you see the development of the person advance, it makes it all worth it. It really does. But I tell you what makes it worth more than anything else and that's when you've got people who want to learn, are energetic about learning, have the right mindset to listening. And it doesn't mean that I have all the answers by any means. You guys have figured that out, I'm sure. But you can, like some of you said, you can take the good things and make them your own and, and develop, continue to develop and add to your, your bag of tricks as you develop as horsemen and women. So I think I'll, I'll throw this in there just because uh, I think it's a fun question. In closing, what is currently your favorite song and how does that speak about who you are? And we'll leave it right there.
1: Um, my favorite song changes about with the week, um, but right now I really like the song "Buy Dirt." Um, I don't remember who it's by off the top of my head, um, but it's about living just a very simple lifestyle. Buy dirt, um, buy a ring. Let your knee hit the ground. Uh, you know what really matters in life: love and faith and family. Not to get caught up in a lot of the otherworldly and, and thisworldly things. Just what really matters in life.
3: Right, that's fantastic advice, especially with our current situation in the world. That's great advice.
0: I think my current favorite one is going to be Straight and Narrow by Sam Barber. Um, at the beginning of it, it talks about, you know, like, if you're struggling with, with whatever it may be, but if, you know, if there's one thing in particular you're consistently struggling with, then it says um, bow down to your knees and pray. And I think that's a very good reminder for myself because you know especially you know being a college student trying to navigate everything from classes to social life to learn how to train yearlings uh it can get hard so uh, trying to remind yourself to go good lord and put your faith in that and know it's going to be all right is a really good reminder for me
3: right on now you guys hit the nail on the head. I probably should leave it there, but we'll, leave, we'll let Zion answer this question. I'm a little scared to hear the answer. Yeah. But you have big shoes to fill, Zion, because these two young ladies definitely hit those that's out of the park.
2: Mine is uh, Guitar and Cadillac by Dwight okay. Young. <laughs> just that's better
3: than awesome. what I thought it might be. Okay, because <laughs> he's awesome. You know, you know, that's it? Sounds good. All right, that's a good place to begin. I, I appreciate what you guys have done. Thank you for spending time with us on Taking the reins. You did a great job.
0: Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on Taking the Reins. A special thank you goes to the Mississippi State Extension Service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Reins Podcast.